Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of Vinyl Live. I'm Nikolai. I work with content marketing here at Vinyl, and today I'm going to be talking to Armel about the practical use cases of company data for B2B marketing teams. Armel, how you doing? Hello, Nikolai. Very happy to be here and happy to get you as a host for this sixth session of the Vinyl Live. Yeah, it's a change of pace. Usually it's you asking me questions, but today I'll be asking the questions. Excellent. I feel very much in charge. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as a, as a kind of topic says, the title of it says, is the practical use case of company data for B2B marketing teams. So we're going to be diving into very practical stuff. But I do have kind of one question that I think is quite important to establish right off the bat is data is kind of this nebulous term that kind of is hard to know exactly what it means. So I want to I want to get kind of get your view on what does it mean when we talk about company data, like what is it? Yeah, sometimes I feel that uh, uh, it's not clear enough. But maybe we can use the classic first party, second party, third party split. So uh, if you think about data you can use in sales and marketing, whether it's you know B two B or B two C. Usually, when we talk about first-party data, that's the data you collect from uh, directly from your customers. So, you know, first-party cookies uh, collecting analytics data from your website, who clicks on what, um, interviews with customers, uh, sort of usage data, any type of like CRM data, any type of data that uh, can be directly collected from your customers. That's first-party data. Then you have second-party data, which is what Viner does. Uh, so you buy external data, uh, you enrich your database. Um, and then there's third body data, which is uh, sort of aggregated data that you buy uh, from outside sources that are not sort of the original collectors of that data. For example, you could buy online behavioral data as, as a third party data set. Um, but we focus on second party data. And so we could focus on providing company data, uh, enriching our customers' business systems. And that's the topic uh, we're going to be talking about today, how to use that second-party data uh, in B2B marketing. Okay, awesome. I guess a quick follow-up question with that is, when we talk about second-party data, what kind of data do we offer as second-party data? Like, when we talk about company second-party data, what does that mean? Like, it means we've collected it some, somewhere, but... What does it mean practically for the end user? What? Well, um, you know, we obviously don't focus on providing data about individuals or contacts, uh, but we focus on providing all the necessary information about companies. So mm -hmm. you could think about like in its simplistic form, Bino is a huge spreadsheet with 65 million uh, rows which would mean 65 million companies and then about 300 columns where the individual data points would be like revenue, you know, technologies used on the website, uh, have they had recent recruitments and so forth. Um, so we try to create a, a robust uh, database and deliver it to our customers' business systems in the optimal way when it's always updated and uh, that's the that's the way we operate. That's what we're focusing on. That makes sense. So as you said, we're focused very much, obviously, on company data in the sense of it's literally information about companies. Yes. 
uh, as you said, their revenue, their employees, their location, etc. I guess the natural question then is, okay, so that's the kind of stuff that we provide. What can you do with that kind of data? Like, what can? How is that applicable? Because in B two C, it's often very obvious that if you know something about a person, you can kind of use that in your marketing strategy to make sure that it resonates. But how do you do that in B2B? How do you use this kind of company information to inform your marketing initiatives? I'd say it's pretty much the same way uh, as in the B2C side. And it's the, it, seem, it seems obvious when it comes to consumer marketing uh, that, that they use data points uh, about consumers to create better segments, uh, more, more granular segments, uh, uh, more sharper targeting. Um, understanding their market, like where do uh, these people who are consumers, where do they hang out, uh, what's their demographics. The same things can be easily applied to B2B company data because the amount of data around companies is growing a lot. And the focus, uh, at least, you know, you look at LinkedIn, everybody's focusing on um, more of an account-based approach. Everybody wants to narrow down the, the sort of focus that they have because they probably because they know that, uh, you know, it, it makes much more sense to focus on specific set of companies, whether it's 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, than focusing on all the companies that could buy your service. I think that's a, that's a great answer. Um, you were talking about splitting it into smaller groups, being more account-based. I guess a good place to kind of a question to ask is, how do you know what accounts to focus on? Um, and I guess that's a big question is, okay, data can help you find the right companies to focus on, but how do you know which companies they are? We always say that things start with the ICP, ideal customer profile. Um, but if you think about that in a more holistic way, then it's about defining the ICP together with sales, together with, uh, you know, sales revenue ops, uh, whatever IT or data department you have in the company, that takes care of customer data and prospect data and controls the CRMs and with the top management, uh, you know, you create a, a, a sort of common view, a common agreement that these are the companies we go after and they are the same companies that we sell to. They're the same companies that we, uh, we create marketing uh, initiatives towards. And uh, in, in someone might call that an account-based marketing or account-based everything approach. But uh, since we have so much data about companies, well, let's say second party data for this exercise, um, it's really easy to pinpoint the companies. Uh, one way to look at it is that uh, you look at the, uh, the, your customers that are very successful, that have a high lifetime value, and you think about what's, what's the common uh, so what are the things that are common in these customers? And then you sort of create the criteria. I want to have similar companies as those most successful customers that we have. And then it's very easy to create a list based on those selected data points. That, okay, this is the uh, sort of total addressable market for our ICP, the most optimal companies. So why wouldn't you go after those first? And then when you've got 10,000 new customers out of that group, then go after the other ones. And it might be also that their ICP evolves during the times. Your ICP that's locked in this year might be a different ICP after three years. The market changes, your product evolves, and uh, 
you know, even like statistically, when you get more customers, there probably are different kinds of needs that they have. It might be that one need overgrows the other need, but it's very crucial. Uh, and I always talk about this, that, uh, the, the, the simplest way to fix alignment between sales and marketing is making sure that they're going after the same companies. I mean, salespeople are happy that they have like a bunch of, uh, uh or salespeople are probably pretty happy that their accounts are also being marketed to so that it makes their job easier. Yeah, absolutely. It greases the wheels, I guess, you know, kind of that uh, they're getting the messaging when they're on LinkedIn or they're being nurtured via email workflows or whatever. That's, uh, that's helping kind of salespeople communicate what it is that our product does and how that product can be helpful to them. You mentioned it's like kind of easy to do this. I guess like the assumption of it being easy to do this stuff is based on you having firstly the data to do it, obviously. And then also I suppose that data is accessible in a format where you can do this kind of stuff. Uh, and I know that's something obviously we talk about a lot is it like the importance of a high quality database, you know, a high integrity database. Could you talk to us a little bit about just how important that is? Because like data in itself isn't useful if you have it written down on a post-it note. You can't really do much with that. Like you said, you need to create lists. You need to analyze companies. You need to do all of these things. And that requires some kind of, you know, fundamental uh, database that you can access it from, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, and a very crucial step, of course, is that, yeah, and I said it's easy, which mm -hmm. is sort of maybe let's say that there's a simple process that you can you can implement to do it. Mm -hmm. But yes, I would like you've defined the ICP, you know which data points you need, you know the right criteria. I would make sure that the CRM or whatever database I use, whether it's a data lake or a CRM or a or you have your customer data and your ERP, whatever, the foundation uh is solid that you have like your own smaller version of that spreadsheet I talked about. So you have like 10,000 companies here. Mm -hmm. Then you have like, okay, these are the companies that match the criteria uh, of our ideal customers. And then mm -hmm. you have the columns here. So you have the rows and the columns here. The columns have like those specific data points that you need. Maybe you're a company that's uh, only, or maybe you've noticed that uh, your customers, your best customers, use a certain technology. For example, uh, they might use a certain server technology or uh, they might have their website built on a certain CMS or they might use a certain CRM. Another criteria would be like uh, that these companies are recruiting very heavily. So you have a list, so you have a data point there as well. So make sure that your data foundation, wherever it is, wherever it is contains all the companies you want to go after and all the necessary data points you need out of those companies. Mm -hmm. And that's a good starting point. Uh, and a very like, think about ICP definition, highly important, building a database that you can trust and, and sort of efficient data management practices, keeping that data updated. If an address changes in a company, you want that updated automatically. Mm -hmm. uh, company that, uh, that that segment opens up a new office in the Netherlands. You want that information to be updated so that your salespeople can always have everything nicely updated in the CRM, which makes them happy. Uh, and you make sure that there's no unnecessary information in the view. Mm -hmm. So this is like 
one thing that bugged me as a salesperson back when I did sales a lot, and I know that this bugs a lot of salespeople today, is that you have the CRM view, and then you have lots of unnecessary information there. Like, where do you need a physical address if you never meet, if you never go to customer meetings physically? But maybe the country would be enough, or you know, if you don't, if you if you only sell to one country or one region, you don't even need the location data there because the a per someone has already given you a list of companies. Say these are from Finland, these are from Sweden. You know, you go through these, and then you can put lots of other relevant information like. Did they just appoint a new CEO or what was their, you know, revenue growth from last year or basically any kind of information that the salespeople want to see that helps them uh, in the outreach uh, or, or any initiative they to do towards that uh, target group. So this also makes the life of the salesperson easier and it also solves uh, one of the problems facing that well, one of the problems related to the fact that some salespeople don't like to use the CRM. Mm -hmm. What if you make the CRM sort of build it in a way that is fun to use, it's valuable for the salesperson, it's valuable for the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's why this data foundation is very, very crucial. And when you've that, done that perfectly, so step one, ICP, step one, build a data foundation all the rest of these things will go a lot easier, which we're going to, I think, discuss next. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I was just enjoying enjoying the flow. It was uh, it was very, very clear, nicely communicated. I guess the, the point is also that more data isn't always better data. Maybe like in a theoretical world, more data is always better. But as you said, like when there's a salesperson, a human sitting down at a computer and they need to like have actionable information, it doesn't benefit them necessarily to have 65 million rows and 300 columns. That's not going to be what they want to work with. They want to work with, as you said, maybe a thousand rows, if, if even that, maybe a hundred rows. And then, you know, those 10 data points that they know are, this is what I need to know. And this is information that is actionable that can help me in my outreach that informs me about kind of what's important. I think that's a, that's a, really, that's a really good point because I think sometimes we can get kind of, into the mindset of, well, more is better. And more isn't always better when it comes to practicality. And talking of practicality, now that we've talked about, you know, you find your ICP, you kind of build a good solid data foundation. Now let's actually give the people kind of, I guess, what they came here to listen to, which is the practical use cases of company data. Like what are in kind of your eyes, some of the, the most obvious and helpful and beneficial uh, use cases of company data, where company data just really helps marketeers in being more effective, being more productive, and ultimately having more kind of success in, in their initiatives. Well, we can start by uh, sort of capturing things. Uh, some people talk about capturing demand. Uh, others might just say that it's uh, converting uh, high intent visitors on the website to become demo requesters or uh, someone who requests a free trial and etc. Talk to an expert. Uh, what like if you have a robust database, uh, then it's fairly simple at that point uh, to do, for example, lead scoring or routing. Uh, mm -hmm. And when it comes to well, lead routing, let's say, say that you have a you have a form on your website, request a demo. 
a person fills the form and then how do you make sure that that goes to the right salesperson do you have someone manually checking through all the incoming uh demo requests and letting them you know route them mm-hmm. or would you rather make rules in your crm or marketing automation based on the company data you have there mm-hmm. for example this company belongs to this industry mm-hmm. okay let's go let's give it to salesperson b or this company has x amount of revenue let's put it to salesperson c this company is in one region or the other region or uses this technology or that so whatever uh, sort of data point you have you can easily use them to to create automations that route uh, incoming leads to salespeople. and the same approach of course can be applied to lead scoring uh, the more relevant data points you've collected the easier it is to sort of uh, create these lead scoring rules obviously you can use like if you're if, if you're really into lead generation, you want to make sure that the uh, um, the lead scoring is is robust to get all the benefit out of it. And yes, you can use behavioral events like you know downloaded this ebook, watch this webinar, click this ad to be uh, one of those lead scoring points. But company data is also very crucial. Like maybe you don't want to nurture those leads that are outside your ICP, for example. So why would you? nurture companies that or nurture accounts that uh that that you ultimately don't want to sell to so you can disqualify them easier um that makes sense like uh, as you said um sometimes we have this idea i think maybe some companies think well if we can sell we sell right and that's kind of very short-sighted uh in a lot of ways because that person if they're not icp they might not get that much value from your product as they otherwise would and then they're going to churn uh, as soon as that contract ends. And that's something that's really important is kind of why spend energy on acquiring a customer that will leave you in an exit in a, in a short period of time when you could be spending that energy on getting a customer and nurturing a customer, making sure that they feel heard, understood, appreciated when they don't stick with you for a much longer period. So in terms of ultimately time is a, one of our scarce resources is the only thing that we really have control of. It's effective time management and spending your time on things that actually matter is probably one of the most important things as a person, but also as a business is that you don't want your employees uh, to be spending time on, on ineffective kind of things, mm-hmm. which also points, I guess, to the, to the lead routing thing that you said is that do you have a person manually routing it? To like, like, okay, who is this and where do they go? Or do you have a, if this industry go here, if again, it just, it saves a lot of time for that person and enables them to spend their scarce time on something else, something that might be more productive for the company. Uh, but yeah, no lead scoring and, and lead routing uh, sound like two great applications of, of company data. Um, not the ones that I expected you would start with, to be honest, but they, yeah, they're, they're, they're ones that, uh, that I know that we use ourselves. Um, when it comes to routing our leads and also scoring our leads. Um, what other kind of initiatives would you would you say that company data benefits marketing teams? Um, next one I, I could talk about is target market analysis. Uh, so defining the, uh, the, the your target market. It's, it's in many cases, especially in larger companies, uh, it's the marketing team that does territory planning for sales or 
uh, and, uh, and does analysis on the total addressable market for a certain region. Uh, so obviously you need lots of data points to create those uh, uh, analysis. And uh, when you do that, then it's, uh, it's, of course, it all comes back to the data foundation and the ICP. Mm -hmm. You can do everything within that same system that you use, the CRM or the marketing automation system. So you can actually build lists like, okay, we have these 10,000 companies that are in our ICP. 1,000 of them are in region X or region mm -hmm. Y. Um, and then you can simply create a, a list out of that. Um, then, because a lot of these, uh, let's say marketing teams invest a lot in, in you know, systems. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you have systems to do attribution, you have systems to do ads, you have systems to do marketing automation and CRM. Many of these rely on automation and automation is based on rules and rules are also ba are based on like filters. So mm -hmm. we need, you know, condition A and condition B have to be met, but condition A and condition B are usually based on some sort of data point. And that's why you need data in order to create better and better rules in your marketing automation systems. And uh, I'll, I'll have to jump to that. Uh, from the sort of target market analysis uh, stuff to segmentation, because you know that's all about building lists. So whether you're building lists for your sales team or building lists for uh, email campaigns, uh, you're building lists to do LinkedIn ads. Um, that it's so simple. You know, you have the ICP there. You, you build sort of micro segments uh, based on that. That in ideal situations support certain salespeople or smaller sales teams in their efforts. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's easy when you have those uh, lists ready that you can plan out things. Let's say that you have uh, a smaller sales team going after a certain uh, segment uh, and you have that list ready. The salespeople use that as their sort of target list and you can create smaller lists uh, from that target list. And you can create, for example, matched audiences ads in LinkedIn, which is uh, very powerful. I mean, most of our ad spend goes on LinkedIn matched audiences. So uh, we create lists of companies that are in our ICP. They have different criteria, different regions, um, different sizes. And then we use those in our LinkedIn ads. And that's very powerful because you have this, you know, it starts from the same database salespeople and marketing people use and we create ads that target those same exact companies that the salespeople are going after so and to create better linkedin match audiences you need a lot of good quality company data because you're deciding that i want to approach these these exact companies with my ads in linkedin so it's very important to have an exact list and again you need good company data to do that um and then of course you know you can you can build your email campaigns or or website personalization stuff based on those lists as well mm. so ideally you have I'm, I'm repeating myself a lot but i just have to make sure that people understand you have the salespeople going after specific accounts you have linkedin ads running towards accounts you can have email campaigns running towards those accounts and uh you know it's very easy to connect the company data uh to website personalization let's say a, a unknown contact comes to your website and you know you have some sort of uh, 
system that recognizes uh, which company that visitor is from. And then uh, you use company data uh, to personalize the website experience for them. Mm. Could be based on like, you know, someone comes to your uh, website from the plumbing industry, then the headline says something about plumbing. Um, and it can be like these small, simple things. The same with forms. Uh, like if you use a, a tool where you can uh, sort of uh, a person fills out the talk to an expert uh, form on your website and then you can, they can schedule a time slot to a specific salesperson, uh, you can use, you can personalize the form based on like where the, where the contact is coming from, which industry, mm -hmm. which location, what kind of company is that. And then you can route the lead uh, before it even goes to the CRM mm -hmm. to a specific salesperson. Uh, and then it goes to the CRM after that. So there's so many things you can do, uh, but it all starts with, it's, it's kind of boring. Like there's no hocus pocus magic trick. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's all about using that data as a fuel to get the most out of these automations and workflows that are built into this marketing automation and CRM and ad platforms. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, what I got from it was honestly that it's just data allows you to personalize, right? Uh, which is which makes sense. Like the more you know, if you think about your own human interactions with other people, the more you know about them, the more you can ask them about specific things. Like once you know what their favorite food is, you can ask them, "Hey, do you want to go eat here?" For example. And the same with B two B companies, right? Is what you what you're saying here is that data knowing more about the person working what company they work for allows you to personalize their experience, whether it's, you know, what salesperson they get leaded to, right? You know, what uh, ad they see on LinkedIn. Um, or you said, what website, what version, version of your website they see. All of that is about creating a compelling and personalized story for, for your visitors, for, for your eventual potential customers. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the power, I guess, of what you said, what I kind of got from it was that that's the power, what data can allow marketing teams to do. It's allow them to personalize. Uh, and that's incredibly compelling. Um, I actually, I want to bring this up. I know I, we got uh, some questions and please, if you have any questions, just leave them in the chat about anything practical or even something theoretical or whatever you want. Um, we got some before. And I think it's a great time to ask one of these questions because it's right, very relevant to one of the questions that I wanted to ask you anyway. Uh, we talk a lot, a lot about personalization and we just said that it allows you to personalize. And we know that in, like, in, in human interactions, personalization is very important. But does it like, then the question of it, how much does it really matter for like B2B interactions, right? We talk about it a lot, like personalization is key. And I know that you mentioned that we've been running LinkedIn matched audiences. And I know that we recently uh, had like some results with that because we've been running not LinkedIn matched audiences before. Could you talk a little bit about, firstly, just quickly clarify what LinkedIn matched audiences is and then also talk about potentially kind of what were our results when we decided to switch over to LinkedIn matched audiences contra, you know, using LinkedIn's own uh, audience builder? LinkedIn uh, matched audiences are basically audiences that you can yourself define based on uh, a list of companies. Uh, obviously, you can 
use LinkedIn's own filters to create criteria that you know, find companies that are in this industry and this revenue and blah, blah, blah. But you can also just upload a list of, upload a list of companies or use a, a, their integration with, for example, HubSpot to bring those specific companies uh, to LinkedIn. Um, yeah, we, we've been doing some parallel, parallels. Uh, we've been doing some uh, comparisons Mm. Uh, between uh, masked audiences and uh, then we've been trying to create like similar lists in a very uh, specific way uh, and trying to be very robust in it but still uh, we got like I think it was like 70 cents per view mm -hmm. uh, for videos with masked audiences and doing the, the comparison with LinkedIn's own filters, trying to find the same sort of uh, segment was uh, one euro and 10 cents. There was quite a big difference uh, in at least uh, price per view. Now, people can decide from themselves, uh, what does that mean? I mean, obviously it depends on the content and, and, and your goals, but I'd say that uh, we were able to create much more relevant content for our ideal customer profile group with matched audiences. I've, I've got a question there. I am assuming that um, that the content that was shown, or I guess that's a question, was the content that was shown to these two groups, these two parallels, that was the same content, right? Yes. It was just, Okay, it was the same content. And it had the same goal, as you said, like it was the goal was probably awareness or one of the other things in LinkedIn. So I'm assuming that they, a lot of the things were kept the same. The only thing that was different was the group itself yeah yeah the, so you create you, you try to sort of create a similar group a similar group with with the filters that linkedin gives you versus just uploading a list of, of companies i mean you use the same ad platform mm -hmm. but you build the list in a different way you build the audience in a different way okay okay so somewhere i suppose the point is that in the price being lower, I think one of the components of LinkedIn costs is ad relevance, right? I think that's one of the things that goes into is like how engaged are people with your ads? So this would point to exactly to that is that people were much more engaged. And if you, sorry, if you're more engaged, then prices are lower, then it costs less because LinkedIn wants to show relevant, helpful ads. They don't want to show irrelevant, unhelpful ads. So I suppose that's why the price is lower, right? Is the fact that the target group that was built with matched audiences found the content more helpful, more relevant, and therefore engaged with it longer than the audience we could build with LinkedIn's own audience builder. Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, it seems so. And uh, that's how LinkedIn views it. And it's, it's probably true. <laughs> LinkedIn is our eternal source of truth. Okay, I like that. Um, that's also, like you said, quite a big difference, 70 cents to, to one euro and 10, or what was it, was it that? Yeah, yeah. that is a, a substantial difference. And that was cost per view. So, because we're doing, we're doing a lot of videos, right, at the moment. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like, that's, a, that's pretty solid. I suppose that, again, that was the question that I had was, does personalization really matter, right? And that was without personalizing the content even more specifically to that segment. That was just the same content that's being shown to two groups. We've built 
as true to our ICP as we could in our matched audiences. And we built as true as we could to our ICP with LinkedIn's own audience builder. And clearly one of them was more true, was more relevant, was more true to our ICP. Um, I guess the follow-up with the question is like, well, what went into building these audiences? You said we built these audiences with matched audiences, controlling its own uh, builder. What were the, the differences? What was the data that went into the matched audiences that made it better, perform better at least? Well, we just used the, uh, actually the same criteria we used to build the uh, account lists for ourselves. So. Mm-hmm the named accounts or the target accounts, the ICP accounts, it's just, you know, just selected, click, click, mm-hmm. that's it. I didn't have to build a list separately because I know that these are the companies we're going after. Okay, so we, it was based on our ICP list that we, at yes. the start, created together with sales. We created this, these are the accounts we want to go after and just imported that list. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I suppose once you've done it once, as you said, you might need to update it if your product changes as the economy changes. But once you've done it once, your salespeople have a list of people to focus on, your marketing people have a list of people to focus on uh, or businesses to focus on. And that's kind of, you know, setting you up for success. That makes a lot of sense. I have one question now that we're talking about ICP. This was also one uh, viewer question that, that they left is, how do you know whether your ICP is correct? And I really like that question because that's a, I feel like that's a that's tough to know. Like, how do you know whether your ICP is your, your ICP? Because a lot of people, I guess, go by gut feel. Like, if you talk about quantitative versus qualitative data, a lot of people maybe just say, yeah, our, our ICP, we've noticed that they use X or they use Y, but they don't really have any quantitative data to support it. It's just mostly that they believe that this is the ICP. The way that I think about it is that they they don't find their ICP, they define their ICP. They say, this is our ICP, Mm. and they don't necessarily find it based on actual data. So how how would you kind of, uh, if somebody asks you, which we're doing right now, is how do you know if your ICP is correct? Um, I would start with looking at the companies you do business with. And uh, out of those companies, who stay with you the longest or who pay you the most or who has the best lifetime value or who are the best customers. And then you can look at the prospects you have. Like what kind of companies are those? Are those similar to the ones that are your best customers? If not, then there's a discrepancy there and uh, you probably need to do something about it. Um, but when you create these ICP criteria, make sure that uh, you're adding the same type of companies that you're doing business with uh, that are good companies. Mm-hmm. And really narrow down find what are the common denominators there in your best customers and use those criteria. use a company database to find mm-hmm. those companies that are similar. And then you might, you might think that you're losing out if you don't, if you don't focus on a lot of accounts, but you're actually really winning by focusing on a narrower uh, set of accounts because you can't sell to everyone. You can't market to everyone. You just spend your budget and your sales resources by selling to everyone. Rather, just focus on a narrow, like if you focus on 10,000 companies and great, you get 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 customers out of those. Okay, mission accomplished. Then you can look for other companies. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the matter is that I think the ICPs do evolve uh, during the years. Um, so it might be a bit, uh, so 
it might be that even though you have a very narrow and tight ICP, which is a smaller bunch of accounts you want to target, uh, it will expand and evolve during the years anyway. So you mm -hmm. don't need to worry that you're missing out uh, on anything. Um, but it's all about prioritization. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a good point of like the FOMO almost of like people are scared. But if we don't sell to these other things, that are, other companies that aren't our ICP, we'll lose out on revenue, all of this kind of stuff. And I guess that's a really good point of, it's unlikely that that's true in the sense that firstly, if you do get them, they might just churn earlier. So you've not really gained much and it will make much more time. It make much more sense to prioritize your time on ICP leads. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So the point question answer was, look at your current best customers, however you define that, whether it's like how long they've been with you, how much they, money they spend with you, et cetera, and then find out are there any similarities between those companies on a, like a, on a company data kind of perspective of like, are they in a certain industry? Are they certain size? Do they use a certain technology? So using quantitative data to establish, as you said, finding these qualities that are the same and then using a database provider to create a list of all the companies that have those characteristics, but currently are not your customers, and then focusing on them. I mean, yeah, that that makes sense. Again, it seems it seems almost too reasonable. Almost too reasonable that that like you should look at your current best customers to find out who your future best customers are. Because <laughs> it's it's easy to summarize, because I can summarize this whole uh, this whole final live session into. Step number one would be to uh, find out who your best customers are, what's the common denominator in there. So step one, look at your best customers, what's common in those customers. Step two, define the ICP, uh, your ideal customer profile based on uh, the qualities that those best customers have. Uh, and then make sure that sales and marketing and you know revenue operations or sales operations or the IT data department, whoever handles the uh, the, the lead management uh, and owns the CRM, are all in together and agree that this is the ICP and it's based on data, not assumptions. Mm -hmm. And then step three is to build a database. So build your own small spreadsheet of companies, whether it's like 10,000 uh, 10, rows of companies and like 10, 15 columns of data points you need. And that's your database and make sure that it kept, it's kept updated. So whenever an address changes, whenever a CEO is appointed, that change gets reflected in your own database. And then when you've done steps one to three, it's very easy to start doing lead scoring, lead routing, segmentation, personalization, target market analysis, uh, LinkedIn matched audiences, uh, et cetera. So you, if your database is robust, you can get a lot more out of those automations and workflows you have in your marketing automations and CRMs. You can build rules in your lead scoring. If criteria A and B, which are based on data points you get, are fulfilled, then this account or lead or whatever moves forward in the lead scoring or gets a certain score. So you need this second party data to enrich your database to make sure you have your ICP there so that you can do these marketing activities towards these companies and use the automations and workflows. That was perfect. I think that's a, a great place to kind of 
end this live on. It was a very nice summary of what we spent half an hour discussing that you kind of summarized in two minutes. So I think if people were unsure, they will be able to access this video obviously later and they can just rewatch that two minute clip if they're like, they just need to be reminded of, of what happened instead of watching the entire 30 minute or 40 minute live. Awesome. I, I don't see any questions in the chat. Um, so unless somebody has anything that they write down very quickly, uh, I guess that's it for now. I hope that everybody had a, a good time and this was an informative conversation. Uh, as, as I almost said, kind of, I guess the point is that once you have your data in place, you as a marketeer, the sky's the limit. Like you can do, be as creative with the data once you have it because you have something that's informing your decisions. Uh, but yeah, that's it for us for now. Armour, thank you for answering all of these tough, tough questions and for taking the time. I appreciate it. And to all of you, I appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. Uh, have a nice day. Have a nice week and take care. Bye.